Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Merry Christmas. We appreciate you joining us on the Powers on Sports Podcast. Hope everybody's getting ready to have a great holiday weekend with your family and friends. Hopefully you get to celebrate. Please do so in a responsible way. If you are meeting with those people and gathering, please do your part to help keep everybody safe, especially... um, with all the new uh, cases that are going on around the country. So please take care of your fellow man and your neighbors and all that good stuff during this holiday season if you're getting out and about. Wear your mask, do the right thing. So again, welcome back to another episode. Tonight, today, our episode is going to focus on a couple things. I'm going to give you a few uh, quick takes on the upcoming weekend in the, in the NFL, a couple of college football opinions, and then we are, we are going. you're going to hear an interview, an in-depth interview with Dwayne Peavy, the new athletics director at DePaul University up in Chicago, Illinois. Dwayne's a friend of mine, and Dwayne was hired back in the early summer during COVID here, so we're going to talk to Dwayne about his his long career in college athletics, working with John Calipari side-by-side for many years, and his upward mobility to become now the new athletics director at DePaul University. So look forward to that, you, you listening to that interview. Remember, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Pandora. Tell your friends, share the podcast with your people that might, that might have an interest. And like I said, we're going to do some in-depth interviews here in the coming weeks uh, with other college administrators around the country to talk about the COVID situation and just the day-to-day operations of what it what it takes to be an athletics director at different level universities. Uh, we're going to have the University of Tampa Division II school, the athletic director, Larry Marfison, here in a couple of weeks. And again, you're going to enjoy Dwayne Peavy's uh, chat about his uh, career in college athletics. All right, let's get a couple college football takes first. The playoff Rankings, the final rankings were uh, given out last Sunday. Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Ohio State 3, and Notre Dame 4. To me, that's, there's not a whole lot of surprise here. The big question was, was Ohio State going to make it? One, only playing six games, and two, not looking very impressive in the Big Ten championship game. They did make it. Um, you know, My opinion was I would love to have seen Ohio State play at least a couple more games. But being that that wasn't possible, I don't have a major, major issue with them getting in. I I wish they would have won the Big Ten title game a little more convincingly, but they didn't. But again, they are in as the Big Ten champion. Notre Dame got smashed by Clemson. Again, to me, they were in no matter what. When you beat Clemson earlier in the year, granted without Trevor Lawrence, but you still beat Clemson, that's enough on their resume. They had a couple other good wins, North Carolina. Um, on the road, 
So, again, Notre Dame's in the four-hole. They will play Alabama in the first playoff game on New Year's Day. And then Clemson-Ohio State will match up in the other semifinal on New Year's Day. And we will preview those in-depth next on our next episode next week. But those are your four playoff teams. The one team that could have had a beef was probably Texas A&M. But to me... Their issue to me was they didn't meet any of the criteria that the playoff committee really values. Playing in a championship game, i.e. a SEC title game, did not win their division, didn't win a championship. Um, granted, they had a couple of decent wins on the year, but they also had some games where they didn't play so well. Alabama did beat them by four touchdowns in their one huge matchup during the year. So to me, that's a that's a big negative for them. And they did not have any colossal wins against anybody in the top 10 or so. So um, I know it's tough. I wish this year, I wish the committee, college football in general, during all this COVID year, pandemic, I wish they would have experimented potentially with the playoff to either go to six or eight teams. That way a Texas A&M would have gotten in and you could have gotten in a team like a Cincinnati, maybe even a Coastal Carolina as a seven or eight seed if that, if you went to eight. So uh, I know the contract with ESPN expires in a couple of years. So look for the playoff to expand to either six or eight in a couple of years, which will give more opportunity to the little guy, the Cincinnati's, the Boise States of the world, uh, the UCF's of the world to, to get into the playoff uh, scenario. So that's your college football. Brian Harson, the Boise State coach, was hired at Auburn after a kind of a bungled coaching search there. They had a bunch of uh, internal booster issues going on at Auburn after they fired Gus Malzahn, but they did settle on Brian Harson, the, the former coach at Boise State. So I think that's actually going to be a, a decent hire. I think he'll do a pretty good job there. Um, we'll see how, again, how he adjusts to the Auburn climate and obviously the SEC, but um, decent job there. One other take on the college bowls. I don't love that we're playing college bowl games on New Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and, and, and this weekend because especially these bowl games don't have any meaning to anything other than TV content for ESPN and Fox. I don't love that these games are getting played, but since they are getting played, bad job by leaving Army out in the cold after a 9-2 and season and selecting South Carolina at 2-8 and to go to the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, it's a poor job by the by, by the college football world and, and, and more specifically the Gasparilla Bowl. That would have been a great opportunity to have a matchup between you. You had UAB and South Carolina initially playing. Would have been a great opportunity to have UAB playing an Army. Remember, McDill Air Force Base is a huge Army um, landmark here in Tampa, installation here in Tampa. That uh, would have drawn a, a nice crowd at Raymond James Stadium to play UAB. That game, that, that did not happen. South Carolina ended up having to bail out of the Gasparilla Bowl due to COVID issues, and so the entire Gasparilla Bowl was canceled. Um, Army then took the place of West Virginia to go to the Liberty Bowl, um, but just a poor job by the, by the bowl selection people by not including Army initially when you're going to take a 2-8 and eight South Carolina team. Bad job there. Um, Heisman Trophy coming up. I'm going to go Mac Jones is going to be my Heisman Trophy winner. I think he's he's had the best year. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence did not play enough games to be in the mix. Kyle Trask had a great year, but they lost three three games. 
I think Devontae Smith and Najee Harris will split some votes. So I'm going to go Mac Jones, quarterback Alabama, to win the Heisman. Also, want to give a shout-out to the Columbus crew for winning the MLS Cup. I forgot to mention them in the last episode. My buddy Dave up in Columbus, Ohio, is a big uh, Columbus Crew fan, so we'll give a shout-out to the Columbus Crew for winning the MLS Cup uh, in emphatic fashion about a week or so back. So congrats to the Columbus Crew. And the NBA season has tipped off. Do you care? I don't care. I don't really care about the NBA until probably 20 games left in the regular season. This is going to be a shortened season a little bit on the NBA side, but I really don't have any interest in the NBA this early in December. Um, so it'll be interesting to see at what point the NBA starts to take a little hold with some viewers and the fans. But I just can't get into the NBA in December. They don't. The players aren't nearly as dialed in as they would be. This is a shortened year because of COVID. So you're going to see a lot of these star players get load managed as we get till we get till February, March. Um, so just doesn't interest me a whole lot. Other than the Tampa, Tampa is going to be hosting the Raptors uh, for the first couple of months of home games. So it'll be interesting to see how that fares here in Tampa. I will definitely try to get to a game. The NHL is going to start their regular season in probably mid to late January. They came to an agreement on a 56-game schedule. So be looking for the NHL in probably the third week in January to, to, to drop the puck for their opener. So there you have it. As far as the NFL goes this weekend, there's only a couple of games of major playoff implications. You have the Colts and the Steelers. Steelers have now lost three in a row with a disastrous loss on Monday night to the Cincinnati. Uh, big matchup there in, in Pittsburgh with the Colts. The Giants and the Ravens. The Ravens need to keep winning. The Giants need to keep winning. You got the Rams and Seahawks will probably decide the NFC West and probably decide the three seed in the NFC. And then you got the Titans and the Packers. Both teams are in the playoffs, but they're jockeying for, for position. So that's another big matchup, and that's going to be the Sunday night game on NBC with Chris and Al. My upset special for the week, everybody's down on the Steelers. The Steelers are getting two points at home against the Colts, and I just, for whatever reason, I'm going to take the Steelers at home getting points. I know they're, they've struggled. Roethlisberger's struggling. The offense struggling. But give me Pittsburgh at home getting two points in a save-the-season kind of uh, performance by the Steelers this Sunday at home. I'll take the Steelers plus the two. Uh, Detroit coaching staff has been decimated with COVID. That game's on Saturday. Remember this week, folks, there's games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday. So there's three games on Saturday, Bucks-Lions on Saturday. The Daryl Bevel will not be coaching the Lions due to COVID. Offensive and defensive coordinator will not be coaching due to COVID. So you'll have a makeshift coaching staff in Detroit. Look for the Bucks to win big there in Detroit in a game that they if they win the next two. They are the five seed in the NFC, which means they will get the NFC East winner in round one, which is what they want. So Bucks need to win two more games, and they're the five seed in the NFC. Again, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Happy Hanukkah. And enjoy our interview with Dwayne Peavy, the new athletics director at DePaul University. Have a great night. Stay safe for the holidays. And here comes Mr. Peavy. 
All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you joining us for another episode. Remember, you can catch us on, tell your friends, tell your, your sports buddies, all that good stuff. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora. Reach out to me on Twitter at Sports. If you have any comments, hopefully you'll like our interview today. We're going to do, like I said, we talked about, we're not just going to do sports talk of the day. We're going to hit try to hit some players. We're going to try to hit some media personalities. And today we are very fortunate to have the new athletics director at DePaul University, Dwayne Peavy. He uh, just took the job back in back over the summer. So we're going to talk about Dwayne's journey to DePaul, his career. He's had a great career in college athletics. And we're going to talk about, obviously, we're going to hit some COVID issues as well. We're just going to learn a little bit more about Dwayne. So welcome to the podcast, Dwayne. Uh, thanks, Jason. Good to be here. Uh, glad to glad to finally get on the show. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate. I know you've been super busy, man. It's been a crazy, crazy time for you, I'm sure. And uh, first of all, first tidbit: I didn't know your first name was Alfred. Yeah, that's um, that's my uh, my name, my father's name, my granddad's name, my great granddad's name. None of them are Dwayne, but I never I never went by Alfred. I mean, nobody <laughs> nobody even called me Little Alfred or anything like that. So. So my signature is like a A Dwayne Peavy. So that's okay. you know that's just as respect to my my elders. That's awesome. So where Dwayne? Where did Dwayne come from? It's your middle name. I don't name? know. My mom. My mom did that, and, he, and and it's got a capital W. So it's D E capital W. I don't know if she wanted me to be D Wayne or Dwayne, but it kind of stuck as just Dwayne. And and of course, I'm at a school like DePaul that uses a capital P. You know, that's right. You know, so yep. like Dwayne at DePaul and DP and DPU. Yep. So we'll. It must be meant to be. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's talk about first how you kind of your, your journey kind of you grew up in Birmingham, correct? Right. Yes. Yep. Uh, so you were you were a baseball player at University of Montevallo, which for those of you that don't know, is the Division II school in Bur- right outside of Birmingham. Very, very good baseball program. They've had have always had a very good baseball program down there. So you, what position did you play? I was I was trying to talking to a birdie of mine yesterday. We couldn't figure out what position you played. So I was a first baseman. So, that was my guess, yeah, actually. Yeah, played first base. Uh, back then, I dreamed of being Mark McGuire. Okay. But it was early before he started hitting so many home runs. He got so much <laughs> bigger. I mean, it was like the early Bash Brother years, and I wanted to be a guy that could hit, but people were, you know, that was underrated defensively because that's what I thought Mark McGuire was. Nobody ever talked about his defense at first base because yeah. he was such a good hitter, and that was what I wanted to emulate. It didn't work out that way, obviously, uh, I didn't see myself in a seat like this that I am in today either. Um, but I actually, for those that don't know, the center of the state of Alabama is on the campus at Montevallo. And so um, I actually majored in accounting. Yeah, um, I saw that. I saw it's that. Kind of, it kind of came back full circle for the longest. I was like, why am I doing this? I decided I wasn't going to be a CPA. I went into sports information, which I love. You know, I, you know, I love the media world. I, you know, I, I love like sports center is my favorite show and I love reading the sports page. And I kind of just ramp, just kind of taught myself. And just after I stopped playing baseball, got a chance to work in sports information as a student, kind of went from there and thought that was something to see if I could do. And if it didn't work out, fall back on my degree. Uh, but I knew I didn't want to be a CPA at the time. And lo and behold, I went and worked at the Gulf South conference. I was their first assistant information director that they'd ever had. And it was kind of like a one-year deal. Let's see how this works, see if we need one. Right. And it went well. I worked with Mike Ingberg and Nate Salant. 
And basically what happened after a little bit after the first year, this full-time sports information director job at Montevallo came open and I went back to my alma mater. And, and, and so three years there, that led me to the SEC office, which of course being a Birmingham native, I had no idea the SEC office was in Birmingham for most of my life. Right. I didn't know that. You know, it is kind of tucked into downtown. It is. Far from where I grew up. But I just didn't know it was there. Yeah, it's a goofy little spot where it's at right there downtown by the Civic Center. It's kind of just just hidden there. Unless you go over there, you didn't know it. So the first time. And so, um, and I got a chance to be there. That was in 2000. Right. uh, When I got the job at the SEC and I stayed there eight years. Uh, I oversaw media relations for men's basketball there. So that's kind of my shift into men's basketball. Now I went to Ramsey High School in Birmingham. I went to University of Montevallo. Um, neither one of them had football. Right. So I, even though I'm a football fan, Dallas Cowboys, you know, Alabama Crimson Tide growing up. Right. Basketball was always something I had pretty good experience in because I didn't go to football schools or work at programs. So when I got to the SEC, it was to be over the men's basketball media relations. Now, that's probably when I really got into college basketball. Um, I tell people today, even at Kentucky, I never saw the 96, 97, 98 Final Fours. (laughs) I really didn't start following college basketball to 2000. So if you played before then, I might have not remembered you in college as much as I was watching NBA back then. So um, so that kind of shifted my career. Um, Obviously, I wanted to get back on a campus if I had an opportunity, but I really loved the conference office. It just exposed me to so many different things. I was going to say a lot that's... of friends and colleagues, NCAA, all the SEC schools. Um, and really laid a, you know, a blueprint for where I could go. And in 2008, an opportunity presented itself. Scott Strickland, who's the AD at Florida, yep. he was the head of media relations at Kentucky and was leaving to go to Mississippi State to be the number two under Greg Byrne, who's the AD at Alabama right now. Just so, so weird how these trees work. Greg used to work at Kentucky as well, uh, overseeing uh, development before he left for Mississippi State. So when that happened, I slid into Scott's position at Kentucky, but I wasn't thinking about going into administration or anything necessarily. I mean, to me, at that point, uh, being the head of media relations for an SEC schools was kind of the pinnacle of where I thought my career could go. And I mean, not where was just, I going to go from there, right? And and not just any not just any school, a blue blood right. of the SEC right. basketball. And then, all right. And then, you know, uniquely on the SEC, the head person was men's basketball at Kentucky. So that's kind of how it worked out for me. I didn't even realize until later that I was the first African-American to be leading an SEC sports information department. And so just being in that job a year after that, Billy Gillespie Right. It's gone. John Calipari is in. Right. The whole job changed. Right. Um, and then, you know, we went from NIT my first year to um, losing in the Elite Eight my second right. year. Unbelievable right. fun team. John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, DeMarcus Cousins. Of course, Eric and DeMarcus were uh, Alabama natives. That's right. Birmingham ties as well. You know, yep. so we kind of bonded a little bit through that. You know, I'm still a you know, a young person in the business to that level and to for all of a sudden that job to grab, you know, gravitate to that magnitude. Um, but it really put me in a different situation. Uh, and that's probably where it led me to where I am today a little more. It expedited my thinking. Cal challenged me every day with bringing ideas and things to the table, not just executing his ideas. 
And that's probably where the dream big concept came from. Really embedded in us is that we were thinking every day, what's the next thing we can do? It's like chess. We were instead of playing checkers, we were playing chess. We were thinking three moves ahead. Right. What can we do? And I think that was a challenge that made me start thinking about more than just what I was doing. Now, I had a good run. I was there 12 years at Kentucky. Right. And so finishing up as a deputy the last seven years and overseeing men's basketball as the administrator. And that shift happened. I actually became the administrator for the sport in the middle of our championship season. I was the SID and the team administrator for half the year. Right. And so uh, what a way to do it because we won a national championship. Um, and that four out of five years going to the final four was a great run for us. Let's talk about, I want to get back to your SEC experiences real quick and then we'll, we'll get, we'll get back to Kentucky. What working for a conference like that, the, the, I would say the, at that time when you joined them, they were the they were up there, but they weren't the elite elite that they are now. Talk about your evolution of you as a professional working in that environment, working whether it was I'm sure you did other things other than basketball mm -hmm. to some degree at some point throughout the year. Just your exposure to, you know, championship events, running events, things like that sure. that go the media dealing with CBS, dealing with the different partners that you had from a from a media perspective. Just talk about that and how that influenced you and really helped your 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 growth. Well, I think the biggest thing, think about the jump I made, you know, going from the University of Montevallo to the SEC office. Right. Um, and that was a jump in itself. And so keep in mind, my counterparts, the men's basketball media relations contact at all the SEC schools are probably like, who is this guy from Montevallo? Like, you know, this small <laughs> school that they might not even know about. Right. I tell you, the first person that really took me in was Kent Lowe. Uh, he was the men's basketball longtime SID at LSU. He was there from you know, Dale Brown, Shaq days um, uh, to now. And he really embraced me. It was like, you know, he always, his nickname with me was boss from day one, you know? And so it just made me feel like I was part of it yeah. versus trying to prove to if a guy, a veteran guy like Kent could take me in, then it was like, hey, just do what you're supposed to do. And, right. you know, learn a lot of things quickly, adjust. I always say in those kind of jobs, in three years, you hope to get to a point where the, the job's getting more out of you than you're getting out of the job because you're supposed to master your craft and look for other things. And uh, Commissioner Kramer was the commissioner when I first got hired. And, and Jason, when I walked in his office for that interview, you sit down. And one of the things I've learned from him to this day, uh, get from behind your desk and put yourself on the level of the person you're talking to. And for him at the time, being the most powerful man in college athletics at the time. BCS, Brainchild, it all started. Everybody was talking about the conference. We just had expansion, you know, all these things. It was a great new hype. The SEC championship games were going through the roof uh, with television ratings. The monies were just starting in that big shift. And this guy, I walk into his office. I'm some, I don't even know if I got a chance at the job. I don't, first time I've even been over to the office, comes behind his desk. We sit at a little round table and he has all nine sports media guys of Montevallo that he had looked through the night before. Wow. And I was like, that was a cool moment for me, even if I didn't get the job. Yeah. Many people don't know this. When they, they offered me the job, I didn't take it. <laughs> like <laughs> I went in with this preset thing that whatever they do, I think my mom told me, you know, just whatever they do, just something you need to think about and get back to them. So I was just programmed and they offered <laughs> me the job. And I said, you know, let me think about it. I need to talk to my people back there. They're probably back on the SEC and thinking like, what? We just tried to get this. We're rescuing you. And I, <laughs> so I went back to Montevallo and talked to my folks. And they were like, well, we'll match it. And then it was like, got to a point 
where the SEC they gave me a little more money, and then yeah. and then the folks at Montevallo said, "We'll match this too," but you probably really need to take it. You, you know, yeah. I, was, I don't know what I was thinking. I had really had it, things pretty good. Um, uh, I didn't have any full time assistants. I had I had just student assistants. And Rusty Greer, who used to play at Montevallo's former Texas Ranger, we were working on starting a graduate assistant program in his name. And so I was kind of getting things the way I wanted. I didn't really want to leave. And then, um, but of course, uh, the rest is history, took that opportunity. But I think you're right, getting involved with the championships. If you remember the tornado tournament in Atlanta, I was the media director for that. Yeah. Um, that was my last tournament, <laughs> not, not for that reason, but that was the last tournament that I was media director for staying up all night, unbelievable scene and the lessons yeah. you learn on preparation and what you can do in crisis. And right. I think that was the one thing I would say if I had a, somewhat of an associate degree in anything is crisis management, because just dealing with those things on high stakes events all the time, going to Kentucky and the pace of it and how things change and when something happens, how big a story it is. Right. You know, I've even had to calm myself down here because my media instincts are if there's some news and somebody says something like, oh, I got to get something out right away and impact. But it's a little different because it could be a 12 hour story. Right. Now, I hope to get things to a point where we do control our message. We do a better chance of of being the news ourselves. But we've got a chance to grow into that. But you're right. Those experiences of running championships. Uh, that's kind of how I got started in scheduling, trying to help out with Mark Whitworth and Brad Davis and Mark Womack at the time, who were associate commissioners. I wanted to learn about marketing. I wanted to learn about scheduling. I wanted to learn about the corporate partnerships because I had time. I finally got enough to where I could do my job and kind of nibble into some of the other things they were doing, which obviously they was gracious enough to allow me. And so by the time I got to Kentucky, I wasn't just your normal media relations contact. I had thoughts about what else I could do. Unfortunately, my boss, Mitch Barnhart, who's still there in Kentucky, uh, saw that too. And I didn't even know I was even up for that uh, basketball administrator job. I mean, how many people gets the first team you get to be the team administrator for? It's the basketball, men's basketball team at Kentucky. For John Calipari. Right, right. For him to see that. Yeah. And it actually worked I mean, because it could have been a disaster. Right, um, right. And so I think part of that was those experiences that I gained at the SEC office for sure. So you get to Kentucky. And by the way, I'm going to mention Dwayne was inducted into the Montevallo Hall of Fame in 2019 for his for his contribution to the field. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was that got coupled with I went to my first Super Bowl because of that. I was in town friend of mine at, uh, at out there in Atlanta said, I said, Hey, I'm gonna be in town. If something comes up and you got two tickets to the Super Bowl, let me know. And since I was very close by, yeah, uh, went to the hall of fame and got a call the next morning. Want to say, you want to go to the Super Bowl? So I went to my first Super Bowl, see the Rams and the Patriots. That's and that awesome. was a kind of cool weekend. That's awesome. That's a great weekend for sure. All right. So you get to Kentucky, obviously you were there when Billy Gillespie, that didn't work mm -hmm. out and Calipari comes aboard. How do you initially develop that relationship with Cal? Obviously, Mitch Barnhart brought you to Kentucky. Those are two very instrumental people in your career. Right. Talk about those relationships with those guys with different perspectives. Cal was more on the coaching side, and Mitch is more on the administrative operational side of things. I'll first talk about Mitch. Um, one, being able to, to bring me to Kentucky, right? Um, I was a homebody. I was at home in the SEC. I wasn't even sure I really was ready to make the move, but to put me in that seat and knowing that I was capable, 
Um, fortunately for me, I had a chance to make several trips to Kentucky. I used to drive up all the time for whether it was a football game to be the instant replay contact or, you know, just catch a basketball game or something like that. So I got a chance to know him and Rob Mullins pretty well. So at least he knew who I was outside of just somebody who worked at the SEC office. Right. Um, but the biggest transition I would say to me when I felt like I, that Mitch really believed in who I could be or were, who I was, was after year one having a chance when we were deciding what we we're going to do with the coaching situation going forward and just getting our opinions. Now, of course, Mitch had to make a decision what he wanted to do, but when we were at his house, you know, obviously he's talking to the president, Dr. Lee Todd at the time, but the other three people that was there was me, Mark Coyle and Rob Mullins. And now Rob is the AD at Oregon right now. Mark is the AD at Minnesota. I was like, who doesn't fit here? You know, and I understand <laughs> You know, we always fight in sports information media relations to be at the table, but we were literally at a table talking about it. And it felt good to be in that situation. Now, I didn't know what I was getting invited over for at the time, really. I, you know, I thought we might discuss it, but to actually have a chance to give your opinion on what things are, where we're going, um, that meant a lot to me. And, you know, it ended up putting me in a better sense of I knew I was in that spot. I mean, I hadn't even been there a full year yet. And you know, what Mitch has done for me and my family and my career, helping me grow to see, you know, to dream big about what I could do before I even saw it. I never thought about being a deputy. I never thought about being a sports administrator. Never even went in his office and asked what, it, if the opportunity comes, I want it. So for him to see that in me and give me that opportunity, that's really what helped put me in this seat today. And, and, and that transition obviously got us to Cal. And the biggest thing that helped me in Cal's relationship is Twitter. So he gets hired on April 1st of 2009. And I start his Twitter account on April 23rd. And I remember it as plain as day because he said Tom Crean came to him and said, hey, you know, you got to try this thing on Twitter. So he brought it up to me and I said, well, I've been playing around with it for the last couple of weeks. Let's just start up one and do a post tonight. And we did. And obviously, this is in April. We don't play games till the next fall. Right. So how much time do you get to spend around your coach? Well, by starting a Twitter account and him not executing it and me doing all the tweeting, we talk four or five times a day just to tweet. Right. So like that whole off season, you know, to grow something that a month in, I remember in May, um, we had a challenge. I think it was um, trying to think we had about 10,000 Twitter followers and Cal I don't know if you remember back when it first started, used to, when you signed up, used to give you 20 people they suggested you follow. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And you can click all or you can click some of them, just letting you know kind of who had it. And Cal ended up being one of those 20. And that was the thing that really just kind of jump started us. Pete Carroll was at Southern Cal. Right. At the time. And his office had reached out about doing some kind of Twitter challenge. They had about 14,000. We had about 10. And we were just going to do a back and forth to help each other's followers grow. That's how crazy it was. That seemed like an unbelievable amount of followers at the time. Well, by the time we put it in place, Cal had already shot past 20. And that was probably because he was a suggested person to follow. So people, if they wanted to follow him, they knew what his account, just click a bot. And we, they ended up calling it off. We never did it. And before we played a game at Kentucky with Cal as the coach, we had a million followers on Twitter. And so... Obviously, that was a big growth moment. Um, just him being willing to say, hey, I want, I'm want i going to give you an inside look at the program. Instead of the old old blogs that used to be 
Hey, here's right. what the coach is doing today. I saw the coach at Dunkin' Donuts, or I saw the coach down at the gas station or the grocery store. Cal was telling you what we were doing. It was back to when Twitter really was just telling you what you got going on and what you're doing. Right. He would talk about what I got going on this morning and where I went here. And we had Motivational Monday where we put a quote out, a motivational quote. Uh, I think I told some people before he wanted to do Bash Wednesday, where every Wednesday he went after somebody, whether it's a coach or a media <laughs> member. <laughs> Yeah, I nixed that idea. That yeah, was our, I was going to say. That was, our, that was our first argument. Um, but it ended up being a vehicle, not just for him and the program, but for our relationship. And after that, obviously, we grew through actual seasons and going through it, sure. you know, being a confidant. You know, he's one of my best friends to this day. Um, you know, my kids, you know, they look they don't look at him as John Calipari, Hall of Famer head coach. But, I mean, he's, he's an Uncle Cal to them. Right. Uh, you know, my son, Brayden, he was only, you know, just over. He wasn't even talks. He wasn't even one. Right. Right. When Cal got there. And so that's just how crazy it is. So uh, but and it's just ama it's amazing how much Twitter has become the narrative or the, the, yeah. the vehicle that so many college coaches get their message out. They don't do. I mean, I'm sure you guys do press conferences from time to time. Right. But that's the instantaneous way to get your good or bad, whether you're wanting to bash somebody or be positive <laughs> right recruiting wise I mean, it's such a vehicle recruiting wise from a yeah, social media has changed the world I, I tell you like i will say this my first full year with cal even though we were doing cal twitter the student athletes hadn't started on it yet so there was no john wall demarcus right eric bledsoe patrick patterson none of those guys were doing twitter until they got over to the nba that's yeah. kind of how it starts so we missed that group but as the next one started growing the students having it too added a whole nother element, yeah. you know, and how you're training them and the media training, social media training as well. Um, how you working with brands and building your brand and teaching those messages way back then, 10 years ago. Now it really resonates based on where the world is going. Uh, but we were doing those, we were doing social media training 10 years ago. I, yeah. can tell you. I remember that it's plain as day. I remember fighting for ESPN to use Twitter accounts on the graphic during a Georgia game and guys with the free throw line, they had their Twitter account on it. They did that for one game and it seemed like it'd be more common now, but nobody else really did it. And I remember like some other colleagues calling and say, what did you think? Why was your, and my thing was, I wanted those kids to know there's eyeballs to what you're doing. So right. I figured the better way, instead of telling them what not to do, we're going to accentuate your brands. We're going to build your brands. We're going to show you, like you're not you're going to be careful what you put on there because, you know, people are watching. Right. And it actually has worked for us. But we hadn't had many Twitter issues uh, in my 12 year time at Kentucky. And I think that's part of the byproduct I'm trying to teach our kids here at DePaul as well. That's right. That's right. All right. So talk, you know, being at Kentucky, working for Cal Blue Butt Blood Program, your phones, your phones on 24, 11, 24, 7 alert, man. <laughs> and that phone rings. You never know what might what might be coming through the phone. How has that prepared you for this 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 part of the job as the AD, where the same kind of situation? Now it's not just basketball. You've got all the, the wide range of sports and people from the university calling you about stuff. How is that you being that experience of you being a kind of a on call twenty four seven is paying dividends for you now? I talked to actually talked to a couple of my colleagues back at Kentucky about this. I said I don't think you realize how much we've trained for something bigger. I said, don't sell yourself short because one, Mitch gave us a lot of leeway as far as to have a leadership and be able to stumble, grow, have some influence, 
some decision making while I was at Kentucky. Right. Two, the experiences of working with Cal, that pace, uh, just the magnitude of everything, you know, a right. little decision, a little mistake is a big deal, really prepared me for this job. Now, obviously, with COVID-19, we're dealing with a lot of daily things that won't be in the job. You'll have other things. But in this kind of somewhat of a honeymoon stage for me, because we're not full on every sport playing, I will say that I'm a, I felt a lot more prepared for the job than I envisioned three years ago when there was a little bit of nervousness about being in that seat for the first time. Right. I was, I felt this time, and maybe it was doing it a few more years. Maybe it was going back to school and getting my master's in the MBA program and really focusing on leadership and entrepreneurship and some of the classes. I just took a managing people and change management class. Maybe those things made me feel better about it. Um, but I felt like I was very prepared because I was used to making decisions under tight windows with great magnitude. Um, I was used to managing a huge portfolio of people, students, staff. Right. And so obviously nothing's easy, but there's no more preparation. I feel like I could have gotten. That's right. Uh, because you're ready for it. You got to deal with it. I mean, there's going to be wins and losses. And but I think you got to be prepared to make some tough decisions, because um, if you don't make a decision, that's really making one. You're deciding right. to just let somebody else dictate where you're going. And, and I think those are the things that really help prepare me to be in this job. And like any, and like any, any new opportunity, you, you can't get the experience till you get the experience. You can't right. you're sitting in the seat. People say, well, he's not ready to be a head coach or he's not ready to be an athletics director. Well, until you get the opportunity to be one, you can't show everybody that you can be one. You got to get the right. opportunity to be one. So and sometimes um, it seems harder than it is. Right. But I think that's why Mitch has had such a great track record of his tree getting in really good situations because the experiences at Kentucky that we have got us as close to being in the chair as possible. That's right. So not just deputies that have been under him with Mark, Rob Mullins, and Marco, Rob Mullins, and myself, um, but Scott Strickland and Greg Byrne that didn't even get to that point, stayed at Kentucky long enough, or Kevin Saul, who's at Murray State. Right. I mean, you get a chance to be close enough and involved and see how he leads, but also the experiences we got at Kentucky helped put a bigger framework of what we were capable of, and, and that's definitely been a blessing for me and my family. So you, you get, you're at Kentucky, you see this opportunity present itself. What about this opportunity made it, hey, I really want to go after this one? Because I'm sure you had thoughts of other opportunities around the right. country. And I'm sure you probably had some inquiries from people about your availability and interest in the job. What about DePaul made it, hey, this is the job I really want to go after? Well, I think I will say this. I wasn't planning on taking an AD job in the middle of a pandemic. And I had a whole second year of grad school waiting on me. So my thought was maybe the next year, right. you know, that I might more aggressively go after something because you know, there were opportunities that came and I was a finalist for Central Florida and New Mexico. But part of those things, I really wasn't aggressively going after them. It was a little different. So with this one coming along, DePaul was a brand that I was aware of, especially in my basketball background to Chicago, the Big East, were huge factors in catching my attention. And as I really dug into it, learned about the mission of the school, um, you know, the Vincentian values about diversity and service, leadership, serving leadership. And those are things that just kind of spoke to me that maybe this was a, a thing that I, I couldn't pass. There wasn't going to be another DePaul that just came around. Right. And with my predecessor, Jeannie Lenti Ponsetta, you know, retiring, usually those jobs are in better shape 
than the one where somebody gets terminated or something right, of, right. of that stature too. So it kind of opened my eyes and I really started digging deep. I spent about a month of really researching the job like I was on the job for the first 30 months, I mean, 30 days in. And I wasn't worried if I didn't get it, I felt like it was warranted. And this is the first job that I didn't hide about it, that I was looking into it. I mean, obviously I told Mitch about every one of them, but this one, I was calling in every favor. I needed to figure out, could I be successful here? I uh, also wanted to figure out, did DePaul want to think bigger than where they were, you right. know, where they want to go? Because if I was going to take a job and leave a comfortable situation as a deputy at Kentucky, I wanted to go somewhere where I had a chance for that to be even a bigger stage. And, right. and you know, obviously I had people like, I'm surprised you left and you didn't go to a, you know, a power five school or FBS school. You're not going to have football. Some of my closer friends couldn't believe I went to a school that didn't have baseball. I think that was the biggest <laughs> thing. But, but, um, but I mean, I think just the golden opportunity of this place, uh, my family loves it. My, my in-laws are two and a half hours away instead of eight. Um, so my wife is very familiar with Chicago. She's from the Quad Cities in Davenport, Iowa. The kids love big cities. Uh, so they've acclimated well. And then the thing about Chicago, we're in Lincoln Park where our campus is. If you haven't been there, it's definitely a great place to visit. It's so different than what I assume big city life would be like. I'm in a neighborhood and I get everything out of the small town feel from Alabama, Kentucky, but in a huge big city where I'm just going less than a mile and you're in the middle of downtown. And so I'm a mile away from Wrigley Field. Wow. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's a neat place and I haven't even seen it all because we've been in a pandemic. So it's been, right. you know, a little slower paced than everything else. And, um, you know, my wife, Allison, you know, we had our 16th wedding anniversary on my day I interviewed for the job. Uh, you know, my daughter, Caitlin, she's a freshman at Kentucky State right now. And my son, Braden, he's at eighth grade at the Lexington School remotely. And then we're looking at, you know, he'll start high school here next fall. So it's a great transition time for us. Yep. Um, and I'm really excited. Dr. Esteban is our, our president here. Unbelievable visionary. Uh, I bought into what he was trying to accomplish and wanted to help team up with him to get it done. Uh, Steve Stout, our chief of staff, um, that senior leadership is the reason it made it seamless for me. Uh, I wanted to be a part of that team and with our joint council and everybody involved. I think what the problem, the thing that was unique is you finally get to that spot. You have your press conference. You had your media family there, but most of your friends and colleagues couldn't come because of right. the pandemic. Your press conference is on Zoom. You walk in the first day of the office and nobody's there. It's a, that, <laughs> those things were a little different than right. you envisioned a long time ago. I remember, you know, what I thought I was going to say at my press conference. It was just a little different when those people are not there. And but those things were bittersweet at the time. Uh, but I was so excited about the opportunity to be here, and I'm glad my wife convinced me to, for us to uh, buy a condo close by. So I'm a half a mile walk in to the office every day and just wanted to be around campus. And I'm pretty sure it'll be a lot more vibrant when we get everybody back and the students that I'm even seeing now. And, and it's been a great move for me. Uh, this, this school, I don't, I don't know if you knew as much about DePaul, but it's so good academically. I mean, the theater school, technology, innovation side, business school, it's so really, I didn't realize all those assets and I'm trying to get them to understand here from an outside view, these are things that are not normal. Like you need to brag and use these things in recruitment for just students in general, but also for an athletics program is that DePaul's a special place. We need to tell our story uh, better and more often. Yeah, and, and you know, 
you're in a great situation. Obviously, people don't realize, first of all, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm Jason Powers, the host. We got Dwayne Peavy, the athletics director at DePaul University. People don't realize the basketball history of DePaul back in, with, under Ray Meyer back right. in the early 80s. They were a perennial top five, top ten program in basketball every year. They were on NBC back when NBC used to have basketball on Saturday afternoons when it wasn't ESPN, when there were games all the time. Right. DePaul was one of the national brands that you would see with Mark Aguirre, you know, all those different, you know, even more recently, Quentin Richardson, some of these kind of guys that have come through DePaul. So, and in Chicago, where basketball is such a hotbed, there's no reason why DePaul basketball shouldn't be a top 25 program a lot of the time. You're in a great conference. You're in a great location, you know, from, from getting kids. Um, so, to me, I, I'm with you. I think it's a great move for you. And basketball is the, you know – it's probably good for you that you don't have five different monster programs where you have basketball and then you have some other programs to where it's not such a monster situation for you to get, to get your, your first seat in the chair. So I just think, I think you made a great move. You made history. I mean, you're the first African-American AD at DePaul. So I think that's a, that's a big move. And that's just, that shows you, I think that DePaul is very much committed to diversity and committed to, to moving things forward. And I just, I think it's a, it's a great, opportunity for you talking about getting to the Paul obviously you, you, you get there during COVID all this talk to us about some of the just the day-to-day challenges of even right now people don't realize your first game of the year is tonight schedule we're, we're, we're uh, recording this on Wednesday night on Wednesday you guys have what had five games postponed five or six I think I think we're down more than that I think okay. we're, we're down five non-conference games and I think we've rescheduled as many as uh, I, I can't keep count right now. <laughs> but, you're, but, but, but you're open. But, but we're planning on playing all 20 conf- Big East games. Yeah. They rescheduled. We'll have that released at some point. Um, this, is a about, yeah. this is one of our non-conference games tonight. We're playing Western Illinois. Um, so we ha- we'll have at least, without me adding some, because we're yeah. still looking at adding some non-conference games here and there because people are going to miss games and yep. want to fill in. We still have a chance to play 21 or more games of the 25. So – all our goals are still in front of us. Yep. Our kids are excited. Um, I'm ready to go over to shoot around today because I'm excited. I mean, it's a another milestone, another moment. Um, you know, women's pra- basketball has started for us. We had a great comeback victory last night at Creighton. Uh, we had a chance to beat number nine, Kentucky, in women's basketball, which was pretty neat for me. Um, and so men's basketball is getting started tonight. I'm looking forward to it because we've got a nice little road trip after this. We've got three straight road games in league play. So yep. it's going to be a nice welcoming to the Big East. Um, and so let's get let's get started off on the right track tonight. And um, I tell you, if you get a chance, Jason, I'm going to get you down and get you up to Wintrust Arena. I mean, I'm come, yeah. building. I mean, to have a new building in this day and age, um, 10,300, um, great place for basketball. Uh, and we got to get that place filled up. We're moving men. Men are playing all their games there, but we're going to move all women there too. Um, and I think it's just an opportunity for us to really grow our programs uh, and really be the first step in getting us in the direct, going in the direction we want to. Talk about talk about now that you're you're having to obviously oversee not just basketball. Right. You have, how many sports are at DePaul? So we have 15. It's really like 10 head coach sports because track is track and field is really six sports between. Yep. Men and women's outdoor and cross country. But I mean, yep. I love my coaches. So I got 10 head coaches. Yep. And it's really neat because I've always dealt with the coaches, even at Kentucky, you know, and that's the sports information, media relations background, where it gives you so many assets. 
because you worked with everybody. You worked with the ticket office, turf management, development. And so I'm so used to that from a staff evaluation standpoint. But my, we have an unbelievable group of head coaches here. And they've done so much with so little. Right. And so my charge is how do I allow – so I've had to challenge them to dream big. I mean, they would come back. I said, I want your dream big list. And they would come back with some little things. And I had to push them. Like, no, I'm talking about dreaming. Dream bigger than what you think you're capable of, not just the next thing, because they're so used to being able with their backs against the wall, come out fighting. I've got a room full of Big East championships that these coaches have earned, even without a lot of facility needs and, and monies and budgets. And so my big push is affecting our bottom line, growing our operating budget to allow us to dream a lot bigger than the surroundings we have. And so I've challenged them. They've responded greatly. Uh, it's a new energy going on around here. Yep. I'm starting up, you know, a dream team of families that I want to donate $100,000 a year annually. I'm trying to get 12 families in the first calendar year um, to be able to do that, to impact our budget with a 10% increase. Um, and, you know, we're, we started a Mikan Society. I don't know if you knew George Mikan was. I didn't uh, know that. Paul, you okay. know, like early college basketball's first superstar. Yeah. And. And, you know, we started a Mikan Society for those that are giving $50,000 or more, whether that's annually or over time, you know, just to raise our giving level in a big city like Chicago. We're a big blue, blue blood brand. And we've got to be able to come one of those blue blood programs back like we were when you said we were on WGN. Yeah. Not many people were on TV and we were number one in the country. I tell you, I've talked to most of those alums you named um, getting on a Zoom with a bunch of folks that are NBA ties or been an NBA. Some of these folks, like I told you, I wasn't watching a lot of college basketball before 2000. You know, I didn't get to see, you know, Ty Corbin and right. Terry Cummins at DePaul, Rod Strickland, right? Uh, you know, all those guys along with, you know, the Mark Aguirre's that you mentioned before. But there's a, I mean, we have an unbelievable list of NBA alumni that are all in. You know, right. I've talked to them all. They want to help. They want to get us back to the forefront of what college basketball is all about. And we're going to get this thing turned around. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I'm excited about today and I'm excited about our future. Yeah. I mean, and, you, and you're in a perfect city to do that with, with as much corporate support as there probably is in Chicago. Obviously, you're competing against the Northwesterns and the Notre Dames and the Loyola Chicago's and those kind of right. and the University of Illinois. But there's plenty of space in that market for DePaul to get their chunk of the change of, like you said, the donors and the corporate sponsorships right. and all that stuff that go that allow you to give your coaches more, more resources, more facilities, those kind of things. Cause, cause that's the, like you, college, it's an arms race. You hate to say it in the college world, it's an arms race when it comes to right. facilities and commitment to the, to, to the effort. So, you know, with your experiences at Kentucky, I know you'll do a great job of getting out in that community and, and raising those dollars that you got to raise to be competitive. I'm excited about going to bears games and Blackhawk games. And yeah. Bulls, Cubs, White Sox, Sky, Fire. So I'm hoping people are excited about, hey, you know, going to the Paul game. A lot of people haven't been to Wintrust Arena. Yeah. So we want to get them that first experience, and we got to make sure it's an unbelievable experience to, to help us grow this program, too, because the people are here. You don't have to have everybody. Right. You just need a small group. And there's a lot of passion. Unfortunately, a lot of people turned off to the Paul channel because they were frustrated. I didn't want to see it anymore. Right. But those people still care. They still check the score. Right. They might not watch the game. But getting those people to resubscribe 
right? And buy into it. And the reason that men's basketball is so important, it's our biggest, it's our only revenue sport. Right, right. So that's going to drive all 15 sports growing. So we've had to, we, we've been to four women's college world series in softball. Right. You know, we've got, we've, you know, our women's basketball program has been to I top think, 20, 18, 19 straight NCAA tournaments. Yeah. So you've got a lot of programs that have been at high levels but they've been doing a lot with a little. So imagine what we could do if we invested in a little more. Right. You know, and then instead of the Big East championships, we're talking about NCAA championships and really changing the landscape of what we are. And so I'm hoping to be a big part of that. And, you know, I love our team. I love leading the team again. That's the one thing about being in this seat is that I have, you know, for everything it is, I have my team and they're all into what we're doing. Right. And people are dreaming big around here. And I think I, I love it. It's exciting. It's the holiday season, obviously. 2021 has got to be a better year, Jason. Come on. It's it better gotta, be, yeah. It's, it's got to be a better year. Absolutely. So we're, 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 we're hanging our hat on that and looking forward to it. All right, let's talk about a couple of the challenges of the job. I know okay. from your perspective, obviously, the two probably the two biggest things that you probably have to deal with that you is two things. Dealing with the politics of college sports, the boosters of the guy, trying to get that booster to do, donate the money, and, and to be a, be an asset to the program, but then that that guy on the same side says, "Hey, I really don't like that coach over there. Hey, I don't like this. Why aren't we changing this?" And the pressure that you have to balance of you doing your job, and then needing their support to help help you do your job. And the other one is ultimately making a coaching decision at some point. Uh, you don't want to ever have to do that. But how do you go about that that criteria and that thought process of Hey, it might be time for a change, or hey, no, he's doing a good job, or she's doing a good job. Let's give her a little more time. Well, I think part of it is, I mean, first time with the fundraising piece is um, probably in the first hundred days, I probably had about forty one-on-one conversations with some of our supporters, our current supporters, and yep. really talking to some of our um, younger alumni and more, you know, thirty-five to. 45 year olds that haven't given that I've met and come in contact with people are ready to help if they can if, you know so we've got to really sell a plan of how that's going to go it's not just about sticking our hand out and say hey I need your money right um, one one example is that I had uh, someone in my office Alicia Pope sat down she's in marketing I said I want a plan of how we can kind of dress up this office a little bit you know I we want to change the front foyer we have a multi-purpose kind of conference room that I wanted to make into more of a recruiting room that shows all of our sports be a big deal you know we don't have we can't build a brand new facility tomorrow but let's just change the look and feel of this place and I'd like to have a plan of how we could do that because if I do get some initial monies maybe that's something we can do so we come back we get this thing with our partners at 49 degrees we lay it all out new new two new nutrition areas for our teams, uh, you know, dressing up the front for the multi-purpose room, the athletic director suite area. Um, it came out about a little bit less than $300,000, you know, but it's something we have, it exists, it's a plan, right? And so one of my first conversations, um, I showed it to a donor, I had just got it, you know, one of the support, current supporter of ours and she really loved it. And then I actually had dinner with her like the next week, first time I really had just met her um, and, asked about, you know, what, how can I help you kind of get a jump start? You know, what can I, and I said, you know, really, if you guys could help me, and it was with our philanthropy committee, I said, if you guys can help me raise $300,000 where I can give my staff, my coaches, my students, a little jump start, you know, coming out of this COVID that 
maybe things can be a little different than what we've had to deal with for the last nine months. Right. right. And, you know, to dress up the place, something we can do early in January where people come back and they're like, wow, okay, this is cool. And she's like, you know what? I'll do it for you. And I got my first donation, $300,000 check. That's great. You know, to be able to do that. So we're starting that project. So it's getting people to believe in my vision, believe in what we're trying to bring to the table because right. they already love and support this school and these students already. And it's just, okay, what's different? Getting them to believe because when change happens, I have to start that process over again, right? Um, but I've been very clear early on of who I am as a person. I'm not influenced by outside people telling me what I'm going to do. Obviously, I've been in this you know, in the high level of, of college athletics um, for 20 years, right, between the SEC and Kentucky. And I've been around a lot of coaching changes and how programs are run. And I'm here to be a support for our staff. Right. Um, Mitch Barnhart always told me, you're not a good athletics director if you don't have a list of five coaches for every sport because you never know what might happen. It's not because you're going to terminate somebody. Right. Somebody might decide to retire, resign, anything. You've got to at least always be thinking in terms of that. And in some sports where maybe you don't know people right off the bat, you need to be doing your research ahead of time so you're not scrambling. And so those are some of the things I challenge myself to complete by the end of the calendar year, just to be familiar with it. Uh, I've done a lot of shuffling around with some of my staff to give them the opportunity to be team administrators, which they, a lot of them have never done. The same opportunity I give myself because I want them to grow too. And so those are some of the things I'll work through with some of our different staff as we, you know, so they can learn that process just like I learned it from Mitch. Yeah. But but I think right now, the biggest thing is that the success level we've had, um, trying to figure out how do we take the positives, really to have true investment into it. Men's basketball, for instance, is the investment level financially is well below the average in the Big East. So what can we do if we actually fund the program at a proper level? What kind of results can we get? You know, the last two years in recruiting have been good. Uh, we have a top 10 recruiting class this fall coming in. Um, you know, one of those kids, Keon, is actually coming in uh, here soon, uh, coming in at the, you know, the winter break. Right. Uh, so momentum is going in the right direction. Uh, they had a great start to the season last year, starting out 12 and one in non-conference. So let's see where it goes. Now, obviously COVID-19 pandemic year, is probably going to be a little irregular as far as evaluating the normal auspices. Sure, sure. But sure. what I am doing, I'm spending a lot of time with Coach Leto and the staff and our kids and you can see what direction the program's going in. We right. haven't even played a game yet, and you can get a sense of what we are about. And so right. let's see where it goes. It's not about the results. I'm all about the momentum of where things are going. I'm dreaming big, right? So I don't want roadblocks to that. I want buy-in. And I think it's hard right now to evaluate because the only sport, all the 10 coaches, only one has played a game. Right. Right. And so let's see what this direction is. But I think what I've evaluated so far from my coaches is that everybody's driven Everybody wants to dream big. Everybody has gas left in the tank. Yep. They're still pushing forward. You know, Doug, Doug Bruno's 70 years old and he's got more engine than I have in women's <laughs> basketball. So that's not an issue. And he's already playing, but these others haven't had a chance to be on that stage. But I'm looking forward. I don't think that's one of our issues is our coaching. And so let's figure out how we you know, how we add to our Rolodex, right? Right. How we add to uh, our toolbox to be able to really see where we can go with this thing. Because I'm trying to build, I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to build facilities. I want to build a new basketball practice facility. And I'm looking at fundraising efforts for that. We're trying to build some field house elements for our other programs. Because up here, when you train in the off season and it's freezing, 
you got to have a place to go inside. Right, right. Right now, we're putting a lot of strain on one building for all those sports. Right. We got to figure out, there's some challenges ahead, but I don't think there's anything that's impossible for us to impact. Great, great. Talk to me about the family. Braden, obviously, Allison and Braden, they, they, they love Chicago. They like, the, they like the city life. Yeah, I was kind of, honestly, I was surprised. The one that surprised me the most, because Caitlin, she's a little upset because she had already decided to go to Kentucky State. Obviously, she didn't sign up to go six hours away from us. She signed up to go 30 minutes down the road. <laughs> and, and she's a big city person. So she's like, when we walked, when we even visited here, we snuck on campus like 4th of July weekend after we were visiting my in-laws. And and she was like, oh, this, you know, she, she really loved the school and the campus and was reading about it just like I was. And she was like, man, if I'd have known about all this, it was at DePaul, I might have beat you here. You know, she really <laughs> liked, So she's a little upset at first. She's she's here with us right now. Um, and then we'll evaluate whether we're going back to Kentucky State, you know, here pretty soon. Uh, but she really loves the big city life. Obviously, this is closer to home for Allison. She was a, she was in before anybody was. But Braden was the one that surprised me because, you know, you're 13, you're in eighth grade. It's kind of like the pinnacle of elementary school, middle school, right before you go to high school. But honestly, he'd be doing the same things back in Lexington. You know, right. you can't really play a lot of sports. You're doing everything remotely in school, right. playing video games with your friends all night. And so I asked him, you know, how's he liking it? He loves it. He said, the only thing he didn't like is he had to walk the dogs all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have like a backyard to let the dogs out and get their own energy. Right. You had to walk them. But I, and keep in mind, we, like I said before, we don't have any of those sports. He's a big sports fan. We don't have any of those sport events, sporting events he can go to. And so um, I think he'll be very excited once even more once those things get in play he just wants to make sure he gets a, he wants a playstation 5 for christmas so he keeps asking me every day have i been able to find one you know can i do that so you got your uh, christmas shopping done yeah i got two more i got i got like another day or two right i know right <laughs> make it happen i got you i got you all right last thing i want to talk about i know you've been a bit big advocate very involved nationally with getting more african-americans in leadership roles whether it's the coaching side or the administrative side Talk to me about your commitment to that and your, your just how it's helped you over the years and people have helped right. you and how it's now your turn that you can probably do some help with some other people around the country. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things, you know, like I said, being one of the reasons that I even decided to pursue this job was we started a diversity advocacy committee at Kentucky as we were looking into some of our racial and social injustice issues and how they're affecting our students, our staff, our coaches. And we had a black student athletic advisory group. And it was just a group, like the people that wanted to talk, um, just get together. Um, and this group of kids, these young people, was the first time that I realized, here I am trying to be an athletic director and get to a point where maybe I can help people, people look up to me, or maybe I can you know, extend that ladder to help somebody else climb it, right? I didn't realize until that moment that they looked at me already, even as deputy AD, being in that type of position, working with some of our staff members, really looking at the role I already had at Kentucky was a role that was mentoring others, that people were trying to follow in my footsteps. And I, I wasn't doing enough in that role. And so I immediately said, I'm going to change it. And it also pushed me that I needed to get in that seat. Here I had an opportunity. I need to go after this because being in the athletic director chair, you have even more opportunity to help others. I was really proud looking into it, what DePaul was already doing. Um, they have a 
uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that meets biweekly. They have different subcommittees on everything from hiring practices to um, leadership initiatives, things right. of that nature. And so here I come in um, from a staff standpoint, we're lacking in numbers. Uh, in my athletic staff alone, there's no other African-American outside of myself. And we have a young lady, Andrea Clark, in advancement that works with athletics is the only other African-American person on staff outside of the coaches, right. you know, the coaches group, you know, so just in the administrative staff. And so that's one thing that we need to impact because it's about access and opportunity. And right. that was the thing, if we talked about my path, the fact that I had access to have an opportunity is what allowed me to grow. I mean, somebody had to be willing to give me an opportunity, Roy Kramer, right. to be in the media relations contact at the SEC. My resume wasn't gonna go up against even everybody else in the league. My capabilities weren't limited. It was just the access and opportunity to have those experiences. Like you said, you got to have experience to get experience. Right. Well, I hadn't had anything. Obviously, I had a chance to be the first assistant information director at the Gulf South Conference. Excelled enough to where my alma mater wanted me to come back to be the sports information director there. But those are small situations with a lot of work. But in that, I was able to, somebody in the local media to notice me enough to mention me to Charles Bloom and Roy Kramer at the SEC office, like you need to check out this guy, Dwayne down at Montebello. I didn't right. know them, right? Right. And so getting that job that right. maybe I'm sure some people question, what are they doing? And then you look back now, my hope is I was, I was motivated enough to make that seem seamless. Like that was the right thing to do. That was just my simple goal. Don't screw this up for the next person that's trying to come behind you. And so you want to do well at your job. Then you get another opportunity. And then now I'm in this seat here. I'm trying to now be a more, I've got on a lot more committees, try to be more involved and intentional in it, whether that's going to be at DePaul and others. I do want to start as a community program. We're going to have a, a DEI department in athletics that I'm trying to start now uh, because I want some intentionality of what we're doing in Chicago public schools with minorities, sure. whether that's bringing high school interns into our program, doing more things with students, um, growing. We have a great graduate assistant program here, but what are we doing with internships? Because a lot of people already have their master's or have an opportunity to go somewhere. I mean, I think that's the one thing that minorities have done is been educated because that's the one thing that's out there that I know I can go do and get my master's, but, but that's still that opportunity. And I don't know if you saw it when, when I was at Kentucky, I helped Cal start up the, the, uh, uh, the minority leadership. I did. Leadership. And yep. then why, when we started that up, it was just an idea in his head, just figuring out what can I actually do to help. And so to see that get off the ground, five individuals at Kentucky to get started. Um, and we're looking at what can we do here, even if we don't do it as part of the McClendon leadership program, we could do something, the same auspices and just do it ourselves because we're a private school, uh, trying to figure out how we can impact, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I think that's, it's, that's a unique thing that we can do here to be connected to our Chicago community. All right, the last thing I'm going to say before we get you out of here, people don't realize <laughs> Dwayne is a one hell of a fantasy football player, man. This guy <laughs> knows his NFL players inside and out. He knows his college guys. I mean, he knows, like you said, he talked about his baseball background. This guy is a wealth of knowledge. In this the, has in been the, the worst fantasy football year in the history of my career. <laughs> I don't know if it's a new job or COVID. or I, I'm just chalking it up to 2020 like everything else. I know. You know me, so me and you were perennial. The worst. 
Yeah, me and you are perennial powers in our league, man. And we yeah. both had struggles, yeah, this man. Is, this, is, this is, I'm just ready to move on to the next year. <laughs> well, Dwayne, That's man, I problem. really appreciate the time, man. You were, it was great. I'm very happy for you. I know we've we to catch up times over the years. So I'm very excited for you, man. And uh, when I do get up to Chicago, I will, we will, you will give me the tour. All right, for sure. There, so. uh, but I really appreciate your time, man. And have a great Christmas and hope the family is all well and have a great new year, man. You too. Thanks, Good luck Jason. tonight, your first game. Take care. All right, see you, Dwayne. Thanks. Bye-bye.